Dearly beloved, receive the greeting of the Lord to you from the book of Revelation. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. If you would turn in your hymnals to 177, and in a moment we'll sing, Oh, could I speak the matchless worth? 177. And uh, please stand for the call to worship, which is from Revelation chapter 5. Hear now God's word. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Let us sing together hymn number 177.
Please remain standing for prayer. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, as your unworthy servants, we give you most humble and heartfelt thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your precious love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace, for the hope of glory, and we pray that you would give us that due sense of all your mercies, that our hearts may be sincerely thankful, and that we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service, and by walking through you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please remain standing if you would, and we'll confess our faith together uh, using the Nicene Creed, which is on page 846 in the back of your hymnal, 846. And following this, we'll sing the doxology printed for you in your bulletin. With the church of all ages, let us confess our faith. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated. If you would take your hymnal up again as we 
prepare to confess our sins to the Lord and turn to page 804, Psalm 51, the Psalm of David. And I'll read the light print and you read the bold. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Let me hear joy and gladness, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Amen. Let's bow, please, in prayer. O merciful Father, regard not what we have done against you, but what our blessed Savior has done for us. Regard not what we have made ourselves, but what he has made unto us of you, our God. Oh, that Christ may be to every one of our souls wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. That his precious blood may cleanse us from all our sins. And that your Holy Spirit may renew and sanctify our souls. May he crucify our flesh with its affections and lusts and mortify all our members which are upon the earth. O let not sin reign in our mortal bodies that we should obey it in the lust thereof. But being made free from sin, let us be the servants of righteousness. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Please turn to hymn 551, How blessed is he whose trespass, and we'll sing this hymn 
and, and remain seated. 551. Would turn in your Bibles then to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses.
Luke 5, and uh, following the reading of Scripture, we will sing the Gloria Patri printed for, in your, for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets were, began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at, his, at Jesus' knees and said, Go away, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left, left everything, and followed him. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. Let's bow, please, for a moment of prayer. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word today. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would uh, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us to illumine our minds and our hearts with your truth. We ask that you and uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit might be glorified in everything that is said this morning and that we would understand your truth and its meaning and application for our lives, uh, that you would rule and reign in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been watching the march of Jesus as he's establishing his kingdom. As we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, it began with his being anointed by the Holy Spirit and being acknowledged by the Father in heaven that Jesus Christ is the divine son that was, as it were, his ordination to his work as the Messiah. Uh, we saw his, uh, the kingdom conflict as Jesus engaged Satan one-on-one -on -one in the temptations in the wilderness to establish uh, his place and his reign. We see him preaching the gospel and yet being rejected. 
And uh, we saw it last week as Jesus is ministering. Uh, he's having being confronted by demons. He's having to deal with sickness. And it's part of the, the continuing march with his kingdom, establishing it uh, here in this, in this world. Well, the events we come to today are, uh, is, a, is an event of a couple different miracles. Uh, one miracle that we tend to really focus on, which is a great miracle, but another one that I'm suggesting to you is really the great miracle of the passage, which is God's powerful work in Peter. And as we look at this passage, we'll look at it in these pieces, the setting of the, of the event, uh, the, the, secondly, the preparatory miracle, uh, thirdly, the great miracle, and then fourth is the summons as a result of that miracle. What we see in the setting is that Jesus is preaching. It's what uh, Ryan reminded us of last week, that so much of these events of Jesus' life come in the context of his preaching. And as he's preaching and declaring God's word, then there's some event, some incident that takes place. And what we see here is that Jesus is standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, Luke is using that description of the Sea of Galilee, and you can see that he's writing to more of a Greek a Gentile audience because they lived along the Mediterranean Sea. And so the idea that the Sea of Galilee was a sea was for them laughable. Uh, it's a big lake, a real big lake, but they wouldn't have seen it as a sea. So here uh, Luke accommodates their interest and calls it the Lake of Gennesaret, another valid name for that body of water. And the NIV doesn't capture the, 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 what's happening here. The people are crowding around him. It's, it's this huge crowd of people that are pushing closer and closer and kind of ready to drive him into the water. There's just, they're crowding around. And, and so Jesus knows he needs to do something practically. And he sees the boats there on the shore. And he's going to get in one and be taken a little bit out from the shore so that he can allow the water to be the sounding board that when he speaks, it will bounce off the water and up to the crowd and be heard by all of them. And uh, we learn in verse 3 that the boat that he's going to get in is uh, owned by Simon Peter. Uh, this isn't the first occurrence of where Simon and Jesus meet. Uh, so I want to take you through a couple of these uh, before we get to this particular story. The first is in Judea, down near Jerusalem. Turn to John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. This is where Peter meets Jesus for the first time. So in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35... It begins, the next day John, this is John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. And the two disciples we're going to see are John and Andrew. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? 
And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day, that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So Andrew gets his brother Simon and introduces him to Christ. Uh, one of the elders when our church began many years ago, Ken Terman wanted our church to be named St. Andrew Presbyterian Church. And that's a good name uh, as a reminder that our, our calling and our focus needs to be on bringing people to Christ. Uh, he didn't get his way, but at any rate, so we've been Tyler Presbyterian ever since. <clears throat> uh, so then you can come back to Luke and, and uh, look back into uh, Luke 4 a little bit. Peter apparently was accompanying company, Jesus some of the time. He was a disciple on some level. Uh, we know that in, in Luke 4, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And when he finished teaching, he went to Peter's home and uh, found that Peter's mother-in-law was sick and Jesus healed her and she began to serve Christ. So Peter was around Jesus uh, to some degree following Jesus. He was still a fisherman by trade. And the question that might come to us or comes to me is, was Peter at this point fully convinced that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God? And I think the answer is probably not. Probably not. He was interested in him, found some things interesting about him, but um, he wasn't a complete disciple yet. So Jesus, uh, we're back in Luke 5, verse 3. He got into one of the boats belonging to Simon, and he asks him to put out from the shore. Peter had been tired from fishing all night, maybe reluctant to do this, not sure, but probably he, he was willing to take a break from rinsing the nets and getting them all taken care of and gave him a chance to take a break. And so he takes Jesus out onto the water where Jesus could teach the people from the, the little boat. So that's the setting. The, 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 the next thing we see is the, what I'm calling the preparatory miracle. Uh, when Jesus, in verse 4, had finished his speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, Peter would have had some reservations about this, I'm quite sure. Uh, for one thing, uh, as he'll go on to say, they, they had labored all night and hadn't caught anything. He was exhausted. He was tired. But how did they fish? They didn't usually fish in the middle of the day. They fished at night. And they usually didn't fish out in the deep. They fished closer to the shore where they could lower their nets the nets could go down to the bottom and they could drag them along and get a good catch of fish. So his reservation would have been, well, that's not how we fish, uh, to go out into the deep in the middle of the day. 
Another reservation I feel quite sure is he probably was thinking, what does that preacher know about fishing? Uh, I imagine most of you, if I were to walk into your place of business and uh, start giving you advice on how to do it, you'd say, what do you know about that? What does that preacher know about that? So he probably had some reservations about that and he was tired and exhausted and the text you know we can't read the emotion we can't read the uh the tone of voice and all of this but i have a feeling peter had a bit of a pause as he's answering jesus he says to him master uh, it's uh, uh, luke's favorite name for rabbi it simply means teacher the one in charge the uh, the master of the situation uh, he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And I think he paused there. I can see the warfare in his mind. You know, why do I have to do this? But he got the better of the battle of his mind. And he says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So he does obey uh, Christ, he's reluctant, I think, I think, and uh, he thinks there's no way he's going to catch fish, but this is Jesus' way of catching Peter. And he, Peter's going to have to learn, like we all have to learn, to surrender unconditionally to God's word and surrender to him. And the text goes on to say that when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They were overwhelmed with the catch. It was unnatural. Uh, it's interesting. We've been going through creation on Sunday evenings, and God created man to rule this creation uh, in his stead. God's, of course, the king. We were to be vice regents under him governing this creation and, and uh, he was given command over the fish of the sea. So man could have commanded the fish and they would have done what he wanted them to do. But because of the fall, even though we still have the responsibility to care for the creation God has put us in, it resists our, 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 Lord, our leadership, our rule of it. Uh, you can't say to a fish, get in the boat. It won't do it. But Jesus, the God-man, the divine glory of Almighty God in him, he would say to those fish, fish, get in those nets. Even though it wasn't the right time. And they would do it. And they caught so many fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they came out with their boat and they filled both boats to the point where they were uh, getting ready to sink. It was a wonderful miracle. It's a great demonstration of the glory of God. It's a reminder of the, the power of God's glory and grace that was evident there it was the reminder that apart from God's grace there is no blessing in our life 
And it was <clears throat> such a reminder, an example of the lavish generosity of our Lord. When you and I are struggling in our life, we tend to think that God is a beggarly giver. God is not a beggarly giver. He's a lavish, generous giver to his people. And this miracle is a great and wonderful demonstration of that. And this, is, this was a wonderful miracle, but there is uh, the next, I think, the great miracle. We tend to get caught up in miracles like this because they're kind of flashy, they're dramatic, they're very noticeable, uh, they call our attention to them, and it causes us to overlook a miracle that's actually, to me, very much more powerful, and that's to change a sinner's heart. When we ask the children, uh, who can change a sinner's heart? They answer, the Holy Spirit alone. You and I are born in sin. We are born with hearts of stone. We are stubborn. Uh, have you ever tried to convince someone of something? And you've marshaled all your arguments. But unless they're wanting to listen, unless they're ready to hear... It won't work. You're up against a hard heart, a hardened position. Only God can change a sinner's heart. And what we see happening in this passage is exactly that. In verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, Lord I am a sinful man, no longer master, no longer master, rabbi, no longer teacher, but now he addresses him as Lord. He sees in him the divine glory and power of Almighty God. He sees the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And too often we go through our lives closed to that. We don't see it. And Simon understood the power of the presence of God that was right there in, in before him. And he understood then the wretchedness of his sin. And so he says, Jesus, you need to leave. I am a sinful man. You don't need to be around me. I'm corrupt in my sin. And the power of God's grace, the, the power of God's miracle working power is when he changes a sinner's heart. And he brings him to the confession of sin, the acknowledgement that I am a sinful man. Peter recognized that. He was overcome by the power of God's grace. That's a great miracle. We see this same kind of event other places in Scripture when Job was confronted by God after toward the end of the book. Job makes the comment, he cries out, he says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. That's a miracle work of God. 
In Isaiah chapter 6, we have the great scene of Isaiah being confronted with the glory of Almighty God. And in the middle of that, he cries out, Woe is me, I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's gripped with the reality of the glory of God. Uh, John, uh, the apostle in Revelation, talks about when he saw the resurrected Christ. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. He was overwhelmed with the reality of the glory of God. And when you are confronted with the glory of God, you cannot remain neutral. You will have one of two responses. Either as Jesus' opponents, you will hate him and crucify him, or you will bow the knee and cry out for mercy because of your sin. And it's God that brings you to that point where you cry out to him and you understand uh, the glory that is before you. Now the other disciples are amazed too. In verse 9, all, he, he, Peter, and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. The other disciples were amazed. But Peter is unique at this point. He's not just amazed at the catch of fish. He's broken before uh, the holy God. God will do that work in the, in the lives of the other men who will be apostles. But here in this context, Peter is unique. And it reminds us and points us to the really great miracle of God is when he changes a sinner's heart. Well, the fourth element of our passage is the summons that is the result of this miracle. Peter has cried out, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. And Jesus responds with two things for him. <clears throat> First is, he says to him in the middle of verse 10, don't be afraid. It's that phrase that God says most. You see it often throughout the, Lord, the scriptures when we're terrified, when we're overcome, when we're gripped by our sin, the Lord in his grace comes to us and says, don't be afraid. Here Jesus, the Savior, says to Peter, don't be afraid. I will bring forgiveness for you. I will pay for your sin. It will be taken away. Don't be afraid. There is hope and there is forgiveness and there is love for you and a future for you. Don't be afraid. The second thing Jesus says to Peter is his summons. He says, from now on, you will catch men. It's a turning point in Peter's life. It's a change in his calling. He had been a fisherman primarily, not that he would never fish again. Toward the end of John, they're fishing again uh, as they need food. But that's not going to be his career. That's not going to be his calling from now on. You will be fish. You will catch men. 
There's an interesting play on words here with between fishing for fish and catching men. It literally is you will catch men of uh, you will catch men living. So the, the, the play on words is that when you're fishing for fish, you fish for them to die so you can eat them. When he's fishing for men, he's fishing to bring them to life. That's his calling. He's to be a fisher of men. He's commissioned that. He's commissioned Peter, the other apostles, the gospel ministry that will be uh, throughout the history of the church is uh, called to catch men, to draw men. This was famously fulfilled in Peter's life on the day of Pentecost when he preached and 3,000 people were converted. And not long after that, a couple more thousand were added to that. Peter and the other apostles in the gospel ministry through the centuries has been the, the means God is using to catch men, to bring them to life to have them be known by the Lord and for them to know the Lord. And all of us ha can have a role as fishers of men, not maybe in the official ordained role, but in the, in the role of living a faithful Christian life, uh, to share the gospel as we have an opportunity, to have our words and our manner and our life be a testimony to the life of Christ that would draw people to Christ and we can introduce them to him. But Peter is getting this calling that he is to be a fisher of men. And the response that he and the disciples, the other disciples there have toward the end of verse 11, uh, so they pull, or in verse 11, they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Uh, they, uh, they were, they were having a new calling, a new identity that they were to follow. And it doesn't mean that they were to leave their wives or their children if they had them. It, was, it didn't mean that they might be absent for a while proclaiming the gospel in different places. But what it means for them is that they, they're giving up their fishing career and now their career is to be a fisher of men. They're giving up their self-pursuits and their self-interests to pursue what Christ has given them in a pursuit. One uh, author trying to pull this together says, many people say they want to follow Jesus, but instead of leaving everything behind, they try to take it all with them. They call themselves Christians, but they're not willing to give up their selfish ambitions, sinful pleasures, comfortable surroundings, bitter grudges, precious idols, or the desire to live the way they want to live. To be followers of Jesus, we have to realize he's, he's the most important. And whatever calling, career, way of life you have, you do it not out of self-interest primarily, not, not, of, not out of self-interest at all, but you do it for the glory of Christ. You do it to honor him. You do it that every part of your life is devoted to him. And whether it's in gospel ministry or whether it's in something else, what you do, 
you do with a total commitment to Christ. And that's what it means to leave everything and follow him. Not pursuing your own selfishness, but pursuing what he wants for your life. Peter and his friends left all to be fishers of men. So as we review the passage, think through it, see in Christ the glory of God and bow in wonder to that. Bow in faith and humility before his glory. If you haven't done that, you need to pray that you can do that. Pray that God will change your heart. Or I should say, pray that God will change hearts beginning with yours. That he would do that miracle in us and in the ones we love. Submit your will and your interests to the Lord and follow him completely. And pray that God will send out fishers of men to call them to faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the richness of, Christ, of your glory in Christ. Thank you for revealing that. Thank you for the marvelous way you work, even through our circumstances, to draw us to attention to, to see you more clearly. Thank you for Christ and all that he has come to do. Thank you for the, the wonderful miracle of the fish and the wonderful miracle of, of a changed heart in Peter. We pray for that for us, for the ones we love that you would do that work and demonstrate your glory and your power in that way. We pray, Lord, that we, as, as we live our lives, will do it in absolute full commitment to you. That in every way, every pursuit we have, we will do so with your glory in, in mind. And may you, O oh Father, do that work in us for your honor and glory. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Please turn to hymn number 591, and we'll sing together, uh, Jesus Calls Us, 591. And please stand together as we sing.
And following the benediction, we'll sing hymn number seven, uh, All From All That Dwell Below the Skies, hymn number seven. Dearly beloved, receive the blessing of the Lord. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you thoroughly. And may he make your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.